Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Suttles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today and thank you for uh, taking time to be with us as we help public, private, and non important broadband issues. Uh, Few things challenge the success of community broadband as those leaders who decide to work against the interest of their constituents might laws that subvert broadband infrastructure if they choose to do so. So North Carolina is one of those states that has felt this scourge of anti-community broadband uh, legislation, uh, state having recently passed one of the most laws on communities that works. First community to own a broadband network, and they were and continue to be very successful at it. Their struggle uh, along their uh, North Carolina communities to uh, to try to defeat this law, and then eventually uh, having to rise above it, above things when the law itself eventually passed. That is probably, like I said, one of the most restrictive in the in, in the U.S. But they've learned some valuable lessons. Uh, they have met both the political challenges and the business challenges of being in the crosshair Time Warner and uh, continue to do what today. Brian Bowman is the public affairs manager, uh, Wilson. Uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Craig, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, leading as counterattacks to all kinds of uh, political attempts to shut down the network, which is called Greenlight. And how have you managed to, to not only survive all of this, but continue to do well as a business? Well, Craig, it's a good question because we certainly uh, we certainly were attacked out of the gate once this happened. Uh, and in fact, we were told it would happen. We were told to be ready for it, and it certainly played out just like uh, was expected. Um, the, the fact is we've done well simply by staying local and making sure that our, our local folks are taken care of and that we're helping them to have access to really the, the best uh, fiber network in North Carolina. We were real pleased, oh, maybe a year, year and a half ago, to be the first community in North Carolina with a 100 megabit up and down residential connection. So that was kind of a big deal, and we've had a few of those little milestones along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you have uh, you weathered a lot, and you mentioned the point about being uh, staying local. And powerful is the you know being as you have uh, continued to this network. We we have tried to make sure that we were well first of all I should say that we had kind of a different mission being local government than than some of the private sector ones might um and here's the comparison in in 2006 uh, a lot of the communication companies and the telecom companies approached uh, our state government and asked if the state government would do away with local cable franchises now up until then Local governments had some say over the. Uh, I guess we had some regulation. You know, if folks complained about it, uh, we could could tell the uh, you know the cable companies of the world that look, y- you need to improve this service, or or you might not get your franchise renewed. Well, 
you know, you can imagine how much weight that had, but at least we had a little bit of regulatory authority. Well, in 2006, mm-hmm. that was done away with, and one of the provisions of that also was that they wouldn't have to serve every place in town, and so they could pick the most profitable parts of town, and they didn't have to go after the least profitable parts. Well, as local government, that's not our mission. Our mission is to provide service to everybody who wants it. So our fiber network, and it's a fiber-to-the-home network, we call it Greenlight, passes every address in town. And it certainly isn't mandatory that folks sign up for it, but everybody does have equal access to it. And so if you want to be a Greenlight subscriber, no matter where your business or residence is in the city limits, you have access to it. Mm-hmm. And so... You've um, you've adapted to that initial transition, and then uh, begin offering uh, services. What's the what's the key to the, to the hometown loyalty? Because I mean, I, I think we should all assume that you can't just have it and be kind of slipshod. And we're local, you know. You're you you want to buy from us? You know, what what is it that wins people over? Well, that's a good question, and for us, we have found that the most effective way to market the service by far has been word of mouth. Uh, One of our successes that we're real pleased with is once folks sign up for Greenlight and have had a taste of a couple of things, first of all, for that faster speed, both upload and download, but second, they like the idea that they can call customer service and they're talking to somebody right here in town. Um, we, We like to call it customer service with a southern drawl. And folks like that. They like to be able to call up and say, look, here's my problem, and and the person on the phone has actually, you know, they may live on the same street they do for all they know, and and that's something that folks really seem to like. Uh, But the fact is it's word of mouth that has really been our greatest strength, and uh, we have tried very much to let folks know that this is something you have invested in as the people of Wilson, and, you know, we need this to succeed, and it has. It's doing really, really well. Uh, but I think our local folks feel some ownership in that, and, and it's nice to be a part of that. As a subscriber, across the board, people feel that to the scenario of civic pride. True. Yeah, civic pride is a is a wonderful thing, and and the fact is, I think in the past few years, there's been a shift in the United States. You know, maybe ten, fifteen years ago, all we wanted was the cheapest of everything, the cheapest food, the cheapest clothing, uh, you know, the cheapest toys, whatever. And I think that in the past few years, people are starting to appreciate local again. You know, you, you've probably mm-hmm. seen. Uh, throughout the nation, uh, farmers' markets are doing pretty well because folks want to know where their food comes from again. So I think there really is an element in that. And one one other thing that makes Greenlight so exciting as a success is that we we got our first paying customers in the summer of 2008. And you, we all remember what happened in, in late 2008. The wheels fell off of the national economy. So um, we didn't realize at the time what was about to happen but it makes it that much more substantial that here it is a few years later, and it is a self-sustaining network. It's doing very well. Uh, We have very little downtime, if any, and so it's nice to see that even through the economic mire that our country has gone through, that this locally-owned broadband network continues to succeed. Now, how did you guys manage to um, such a strong business? 
I mean, I, I understand how you built the customer base, right? Because customer base, a lot of that depends on the the you know local ownership and pride and so forth. But you've also run a good business. You talked about the fact that there's been very little downtime. I mean, when we right. think about telecom companies, you know, we complain about the service, we complain about the customer service, we complain about billing mistakes. I mean, there's just a lot that that can go wrong. How does such a small group avoid all those kinds of, uh, I don't know, big company headaches? Well, and that's a great question. Um, for, first of all, we had some folks on board who were really interested in it, and we all just kind of like the idea of having this uh, as a tool to attract business, to attract uh, especially you know entrepreneurs who need to uh, upload large files and, and that kind of thing, and they just weren't able to do it before. But the fact is, to be real candid, our strength was in government oriented activities, you know, because that's what we do. We provide local service to people. So we already had that mindset that we wanted to to provide this service to folks and to make sure that that everybody had access to it. But we also had a lot of consultants who were holding our hand. Um this this is something that uh was not necessarily the expertise of everybody involved, but we had a lot of uh private companies who worked with us as consultants, as uh you know, as as the folks who helped build the network, and they had done this before, and they knew what worked and what didn't work. So really, we were able to build on the success of a lot of uh, local companies and a lot of uh, you know private sector companies who had done this before, and they were more than willing to work with us. And it's interesting because you know you hear this couched from time to time as public sector versus private sector, and, and we don't see it that way. We needed a lot of help from the private sector to make this happen, so it really has been a partnership even from day one. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I, I like to say that the only real public versus private sector conflict, if you will, is with the incumbents. But at a local level, businesses seem to be as engaged in this as much as the um, the public sector and nonprofit organizations. Oh, my goodness, absolutely. Uh, in, in fact, Craig, we have been surprised at, at the number of, of local businesses, including the large corporations all the way down to the mom-and-pop stores who are Greenlight customers. Uh, we, we've been thrilled with that. Uh, and, in fact, we had done a lot of studies to see what our residential take rate would be because, you know, you have to pay the bills. You don't build this without having a pretty good idea of what sort of take rate you're going to get. But our businesses have been, you know, really just the icing on the cake there that the, uh, they've been very supportive of this. And we've had a few folks who uh, are they, – they work out of their homes – and they may have to upload huge files that would just take forever on the old-fashioned copper broadband, who are very happy to have that fiber, and they see that difference. And we're hoping that we can continue to build on that. But we've been very pleased with our, our local businesses. And, again, that goes all the way from the largest employer in town with over 2,000 employees to the largest company in town, which might just be one person. Mm-hmm. So now, um, when you guys were – Starting out, were some of you were most of your, I don't know, key customer or key source of revenue from uh, businesses, from institutions. How, what what formed the foundation that, that kept you guys solvent in the early days and allowed you to grow? Well, we had a good mix. Uh, we we certainly had some folks from from the nonprofits on board. Our um, local community college saw the value in this, and they said. 
you know, we we could do so much remote learning with this. And they they saw ahead of time. They have a pretty visionary president there, but they saw ahead of time how valuable this could be for them. Uh, our local liberal arts college here in town, Barton College, they were on board at the beginning. Uh, our um, hospital, all, all sorts of uh, nonprofits along that line. But also, we had a lot of good corporate support. Uh, our largest employer in the city limits is BB&T, which is a pretty big bank here on, on the East Coast. I don't know if you have them out west, uh, but but they're one of the largest banks in the country. And, and our local BB&T folks said, hey, this is something that would really help us because when somebody does a, uh, a financial transaction electronically with BB&T, there's a real good chance that that comes through Wilson at one point. And so they recognize the need for a really big pipe. And so we were very uh, happy to have support not only from the nonprofit sector, but from the for-profit sector. Also glad to report to you, too, that our local schools, all of our local public schools, are Greenlight members as well, and they've been very pleased with the service. Uh-huh. Now, um, what was it that helped you get the confidence of the, the bigger um, companies in your area? Because I there's an assumption or perception that, well, maybe the local folks will buy from a local company and all the rest of it, but if you're a big company you know, and, and you're buying services more to your business survival, they can get much about who the provider is. And you knew the service providers, right, because this was not the primary business that, that you folks were in, yet you were still able to win those larger uh, businesses. I mean, how, how did that all happen? Well, that, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think it's a couple of things. First of all, our elected officials here uh, do a really good job of vetting each idea, and they, they don't want to just jump into something. Um, and in fact, one, one thing we've said many times before is that we didn't wake up one day and think, hey, we we should go start a broadband network. Let's make some money. That That is not what happened at all. Uh, this actually started in the late 1980s. We go way back to there. We had some uh, some problems with the, the cable provider at the time, and um, our city council at the time said that they would set aside a, a, a small, well, not a small amount of money, but a, you know, when you have a $200 million budget, it's a relatively small amount of money. They put $5 million aside that year and said, let's just look into perhaps starting some sort of cable uh, operation. Well, they looked at it at the time, and the numbers didn't work, and so they, they put that to bed and, and decided to possibly take a look at it later. And then in the early 2000s, we started looking at it again and went through a lot of due diligence. We had to go to the local government commission here in North Carolina, which really is one of the most conservative local government commissions in the country, and had to show them our business model and show them what we wanted to do they gave it their blessing. We also had to appear before uh, the, the folks up in New York to, to borrow the money, and, and they were very supportive of it. But one thing that I think is important in this process is to remember that as a city, as a local government, we're already providing critical services. Uh, in, in fact, it, it's been said by one of the incumbents that, well, you, you don't know how to do broadband. You, you're not in that business. Well, Craig, the fact is we provide clean water that people drink and give to their children. They they have to trust us to some extent to do that. We have police officers who are city employees who carry weapons, who keep us safe from bad guys and arrest bad guys. We have firefighters who go into burning houses and pull us out of them. So you know, for us to provide cable and broadband services is really not that much harder than those critical services we're already providing. And, and so I think that 
as a city organization, I believe that we had built up some credibility with our folks, and they knew that we weren't just jumping into something, that we had given it due diligence and had gone through the public process needed before we ever broke ground on this network. Mm-hmm. So, in essence, your your business customers, your bigger uh, potential subscribers, had a comfort level based on the strength of your your business plan, basically. Exactly. And there's one other element that's important to note there because for over a 100 years now, the city of Wilson has provided electrical service to its customers. So we already had electrical lines throughout the city. And one thing that we're real pleased with that is that the the people in Wilson know that the electricity here is reliable. And they know that even though we have a hurricane come through every now and then or a tornado or something like that or even the occasional ice storm, that our electrical crews get out there really quickly and get those services back up again. And so for decades now, we've been able to build up that reputation as quick responders and as somebody who makes sure that the network and the infrastructure are built and and are uh, put in in such a way that they're not going to have downtime. Um, Our city council back in the 1990s expanded our water reservoir, and we have water facilities for the next 50 years or more. And so, again, as local government, when when you can afford to do it, you invest in your infrastructure and make sure that the right tools are in place. And I think that's what people saw is that we had done that historically and they trusted us enough to, to do it this time. Hmm. That is probably one of the best uh, defenses of local government involvement in broadband I've heard in a while. I mean, it really comes to the, the, the is that so for so long, take these services for granted, police and fire and uh, you know regulation and permitting and all the government does is the undervalue because it's just it just it's you didn't think about it or so they don't really think about the complexity you know sort of if you can do these things that come that deal with life and death then how can you not trust them a decision. Or bring in the right people to help make a decision about something such as, you know, communication infrastructure. I mean, well, exactly, and uh, and you know, I don't want to I don't want to paint a, a picture that's so rosy that that a- any local government could or should do this. Uh, it, it's definitely something that I think the elected officials need to be on board. I think everybody needs to put due diligence into it and and really think through this. Um, and in fact, our manager said several times that he was hoping somebody would talk him out of it. But when we kept looking at things and, and looking at not only the the need for better broadband in the area, which really ended up driving this thing, but also just the pent up demand, uh, we have been very pleased at at what people are looking for. And remember, when we launched this thing in about 2007, 2008. There were a lot of applications now that weren't around then. You know, YouTube had just barely started to appear at that point. Um, mm-hmm. video, video streaming was not all that common then, although it was starting to become that. Well, now you can do all sorts of things online. I take classes online, and you have to have broadband to do that well. Um, some of our local doctors here send huge X-ray files back and forth. There are all sorts of applications that you need broadband for that really didn't even exist so much when we started this. In fact, there's a a good example. Our local police department, I I had mentioned Barton College, our local liberal arts four-year school here uh, recently. 
our, they had approached our police department and said, hey, we would really like for you to have a uh, presence on campus. And so now we pretty much handle their security, and they don't have security guards anymore. It's, it's Wilson police officers. Well, using our network, we're able to put up some cameras around campus, and that way we can have one officer who's keeping an eye on several places at one time instead of only one place at one time. So it's much more than just you know, providing HBO and Showtime to people. There are all sorts of public applications to this that really do help the community at large, and they would not be possible without that high pipe connection. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that uh, if you look at Chad Nisman, is a bigger net covering a broader geography, but the core of their network starting was about improving the quality of their uh, public utility of, of, of improving the delivery of their electricity services, and that by itself really justified the cost of the investment, and I believe stands as the your ROI factors. You know, when people say, "Well, you only have thirty thousand customers out of I don't know how many hundred thousand people that they have," and they turn around and say, "Well, yes, but there's um, you know there's the, the public utility and how it uses it." There is the Wi-Fi network, which basically supports all of their mobile workers, you know, in any branch of the government, and uh, that's getting 16 uh, megs of symmetrical service and so forth. So it puts all these things that relate business of government being better as a way to explain, well, this is all part of the return on the investment. Exactly, and and one thing that that really helped us also was that we already had that electricity infrastructure in place, so we had easy access to our utility poles, for instance, because we own about 70% of the utility poles that are in our city limits here, and so that really did help. You know, that that's something that is not always easy to do. Uh, if the large companies don't want you to be on their poles. You know, that that can be a slow process and a tedious process. So that was something that really sort of accelerated things for us. Mm-hmm. Now, as the, uh, you know, the business was expanding, you know, then came the, the political efforts, and this is really where you and I first started having conversations. And there were four years of just constant battling at a, a state legislative level. How did you guys, uh, and I know it wasn't just Wilson alone, but how did you guys manage to coordinate the political response side of things? That was probably the most difficult part of this whole journey. Uh, Building the network was doable. We had good folks in place to do that. Uh, Marketing those services was doable. We had the people in place to do that. And, again, we were very happy with the results. But the political aspects of that were something that, um, e- even though we had been told to expect it, you know, it can be a different world at the legislative level. And, and so uh, just to give you an idea of the process of what happened, uh, there were four bills that came up over the course of four years. Uh, and the, the uh, I'll just say the lobbyists from the cable companies, if I can just leave it at that, they were, uh, let's just say they were very close to the lawmakers at the time. And, and the first bill came up and it's interesting. It had the same name every year. The name of the or the number of the bill would change, and it would uh, some years it would be defeated. In fact, the first three were defeated, but it always had the same name. And I'll just as a buzzword let you know this to look out for it. But they called it the Level Playing Field Act, 
And what what the whole gist of it was was that it was going to give the cable companies the level playing field to get away from the unfair advantage that government has. And so it, it was interesting how the argument changed because at the beginning, and I believe 2007 was the first bill that came along, a bill was introduced to stop North Carolina cities from doing this, and the gist of it then was that taxpayers had to be protected from their local governments because local governments didn't know how to spend money and they were going to be in debt and all this sort of thing. And so to protect the taxpayers, they had to put this in place to keep governments from from uh, from doing this. Well, that bill didn't work out and it went away. And uh, that happened two more times before the fourth time when it actually went through. And it's an interesting transition to see what happened from the start there from – from uh, now, point A was that that governments, if they borrow this money, they're going to leave all this tax burden with their customers, and their citizens are going to be on the hook, and it's not fair to the citizens. So we have to protect the taxpayers from these companies. We went from that argument about government incompetence to a few years later, where it was that governors or that governments have an unfair advantage, and that it's not fair for the private sector because these governments already have the utilities in place and all that sort of thing. So it really is a, an interesting dynamic to see how the political world changed there. Uh, but they, they tried three times and struck out all three times. But on the fourth time, uh, which was last year, they did get legislation in place uh, to keep other cities and towns in North Carolina from doing what, what Wilson has already done. Uh, Wilson was exempt. Um, thank goodness we weren't told to abandon the network and, and to sell off the assets, which that would have been just an awful scenario. Uh, but we were limited to the the, uh, the county line. So even though I've talked to folks, you know, even in Raleigh, almost an hour west of here, who were asking if they could one day be a part of this, we are now roped in. Uh, so there, there's pretty much a big fence around Wilson County that we cannot go outside that area, even though we have this great network. Could that one day be knocked down? Say again? Could that fence, as it were, one day knocked down? I, I suppose it always could be. Reverse itself. Uh, well, you know, it's it would it would require I think different lawmakers in place or a, a different mindset. Uh, but sure, you know, state legislation can always be changed by a, a new generation of leaders. So uh, nothing is set in stone. But but for the time being, that's where we are. Mm-hmm. So now, in, in the in the height of the the, the battles, as it were. Um, you guys were doing everything from rallying people and putting them in buses and vans um, to show up at votes, and you also were mounting uh, I don't know, phone and email campaigns and so forth. How do you do that? Because, you know, Philadelphia did something for when they first announced they were going to do a new Wi-Fi network, and they, they mounted this most, well, from my perspective, really, you know, this incredible... Uh, grassroots campaign in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys are a smaller town than obviously Philadelphia, but you were still incredibly active people in, in the legislature's spaces. How, how do you pull those kinds of things together, generate that kind of enthusiasm? Because you had to deal with a lot, as I remember. Well, yeah, we we had a lot going on, and uh, as our as our mayor said very well in one of the uh, committee meetings, this is not just David versus Goliath. This is David versus Goliath and all his cousins. Uh, yeah. That's what we felt like because we had an army of lobbyists on the other side. Um, but let let me just say that it was actually more organic even than what you had mentioned because 
we we didn't bus folks in. We we didn't we didn't bring folks in like that. Uh, we had a lot of supporters, even folks we didn't know, who saw this and they realized the detriment of legislation like this, and and they got out there and started telling their friends. Now, we we did a, a couple of things that I, I think really helped with that. Is is we you know got in touch with folks and and just said, hey, here here's what we're up against. If this is something you support, we need your help. Um, and we also started a blog and just put the the truth out there to say, you know, here we are in in Wilson, North Carolina. We've got this great network that we've put in place as infrastructure, and for whatever reason, we've got these companies coming after us. And Craig, it it took off. Uh, I was very surprised at how it took off. And we had folks from all over the world who I don't think could have found Wilson on a map who were contacting <laughs> legislators and, and uh, you know getting in touch to say, this is backwards, this is not forwards. And so we were really grateful for that. And I think the one thing that really shot it down um, for the other side the first time back in 2007 was when Google weighed in. And Google said, you know, North Carolina, this is not a good idea. And, you know, of course, Google has a dog in the fight because it needs people to have broadband for its business model. But again, that goes back to this uh, this uh, attempt to couch this as a public sector versus private sector thing. It is not public sector versus private sector, and it never was. This is a partnership, and this is something that can benefit everybody involved. Uh, but the fact is, again, what what we did is we just tried to tell people the situation we were in, and we were overwhelmed by the folks who uh, who just kind of came out of nowhere and and came to these committee meetings. In fact, I. I talked to one really nice lady who said she had seen it on Twitter the night before, and so she came to support us, and she lived in Raleigh. So I think there are just a lot of folks who see this as a much bigger issue than a Wilson, North Carolina infrastructure issue. They see broadband as something that the United States really needs to catch up on, and uh, you know, I just think we just happen to be at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And so was it was it difficult to sustain that effort over the three years? Because in essence, you were refighting the battle, you know, and that's four times. And some folks, it's hard enough to get them, you know, get their folks, people rallied for just the first battle, but then have to kind of continue to come back to it. Did everyone just become like, you know, regular freedom fighters, just, you know, end of the year, another battle, let's go. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was difficult, uh, and you know the folks stayed with us, and they were great, and they were there when we needed them. But I think we had such a, a shift in our elections here in 2010 that really it was just overwhelming at that point. And and while they came and and they fought with us and helped us, I, I think they realized that the cards were just stacked against them that year. Um, so again, we were just thrilled with the outpouring of support. And again, a lot of these people had no connection to Wilson. But they realized how important broadband is, not only to the the state's future, but to our nation's future. You know, you can do so much online now that you couldn't do online five years ago. But the fact is, you can't do it over dial-up. You need a really good connection to do that. And we're happy here in Wilson that we can offer to homes and businesses 100 megabits per second up and down. And it's it's not impossible to get that at your house. And, uh, you know, we're excited about the folks who are taking that. Mm-hmm. Now your I think I asked you once so and several years ago about the size of your department that worked on this. And then you told me there was a space of twelve people in the in the IT group and that is what is driving the network. I mean plus consultants. I don't want to discount the consultants, but the core of it is your IT group isn't really that big. 
Right. When we started, it was probably about that size. Now, since then, we have merged our green light departments with our IT departments. And I would guess we probably have maybe 25 or 30 people in there now. Uh, but what we tried to do was build a really strong network and a very stable, successful head end. And so far, so good. We're real pleased with it. Mm-hmm. So do you um, – I know some communities look at the prospect, I think, of – networks and then having to battle the local incumbent, whichever one is a giant ID. And just as a business matter, I think the whole legislative issue, but just a business uh, discussion, are intimidated. You guys, staff, even though it's larger than started, um, it's sort of like David versus Goliath on a different plan, on the business option field. How do you make that work? Well, what we did is just a lot of due diligence before we ever broke ground on it. Uh, I, I, to, I told you just a little while ago that this actually started as an idea in the late 1980s when they were getting a lot of complaints about the cable service. Well, as you know, the technology changed quite a bit between uh, then and now. And, and when we started looking at this again in the, uh, the early and mid-2000s, Fiber was the standard and continues to be the standard. And so, you know, we could have probably done it much more cheaply by putting copper line in the ground or or something like that. But we decided to invest in the infrastructure that we believed was going to be around for decades and not for a few years. And so what we did, again, is is just talked with the folks who who really were the experts and and said, what what is the best way to build this? We want this this ship to be uh, airtight. We want this to work, and and we want to put the best in there. And that's what we did. And and the good thing about having a network that's entirely fiber is we can upgrade the electronics on either end of that as the upgrades become available. Like I told you, we have a hundred meg up and down now, but you know hopefully in a few years. Maybe we have a gig up and down. Who knows? But the the fiber can handle so much because it's just a different technology than the old-fashioned electric stuff that we can upgrade those electronics on either end, and the the fiber, which is the expensive part to put in the ground and up on the poles, it stays in place. So it really is a network that can grow with our community and can be upgraded and, and built to be the best it can be. And... We we used a lot of experts along the way. We put a lot of thought into it a lot of way along the way, and just made sure we were doing the right thing ahead of time and not half-heartedly committing to this. And I think you'll get a kick out of this. Our city council voted unanimously to expand this network in 2007 to make it available for everybody in town. And, and one of our uh, our uh, women on the council said something really neat that night. She says. Having this broadband network to ourselves, which it started as a fiber network that connected just city facilities, and we had had demand and decided to go ahead and build that out and make it available to everybody. But having having that just for city services, she says, having this fiber network and not letting other people have access to it is like knowing about penicillin and not telling anybody. Right, right. thought that was that, kind of that, cool. That, that's, a good, that's a good analogy. That's definitely a good analogy. So you've um, now is this now of the twenty five people who uh, those folks have responsibility for like the physical maintenance or do you have outside folks deal with the the maintenance issues? We, we have it's both. We we do have outside folks who take care of the actual outside plan itself, um, mm-hmm. and and they did a good job of burying it. I'll just say deeper than they needed to when they when they put it in the ground. So. 
we, we don't have a lot of uh, lines cut, and we also have a redundant network. So uh, if you can picture um, a clock and, and just picture a ring around a clock and, and say that the the broadband signal or, or whatever uh, comes and goes clockwise around the clock, well, if you get a cut at, let's say, the number three, well, that doesn't stop for everybody after three. We have a redundant network, so it backfeeds the other direction. And mm-hmm. so occasionally we'll get a cut that nobody realized happened, and that was by design. Again, we wanted to build something that was that was going to hold up, and we've been real pleased with it. Mm-hmm. Are you be able to um, link the other four cities that have or three cities that have their own network? As in, can the four of you create a you know a, a I'm thinking more on the application side. In other words, the the things they're talking about in Kansas City is that once they have this network in place, they can build bridges to other cities, even globally, like worldwide, that likewise have speed networks, right? I mean, not not one physical cable per se, but, you know, the technology is in place. So in essence, they can create a, um, you know, shared resources, shared applications, that kind of thing. Is there that potential within uh, North Carolina? I think there is certainly a willingness on the part of the cities to do that. I think that's something the cities would very much like to talk about. But if it requires any sort of physical infrastructure, our our legislature has essentially put a stop to that. We're we're not allowed to take this network outside of our county and uh, and provide services. So that's something that I think the – I think our legal folks would probably be able to answer better than I could, but I know from the right. city side, from the from the uh, you know the, the local municipality side, you know we all know each other, we keep up with each other, and I think folks would be more than willing to talk about something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the um, what is it? Uh, co-op and nonprofit organizations can build uh, community networks. Craig, I lost you. I'm sorry. Can you say it again? Oh, sorry. So um, co-ops and not-profit organizations, can they uh, they build community networks? I understand the legislature prevents local government from building these networks, but if someone had a community foundation uh, or they got together and created a co-op, could could that co-op then provide these services? You know, that's a good question. I I don't know the answer to that. I do know that we have uh, some electric co-ops here in the state. Um, So, you know, that could be possible, but I'm not the one to ask that. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Uh, Now, in the earlier days of, of, um, you know, exploring the broadband option, did you guys ever consider uh, creating a co-op, or was it pretty much from the get-go, you know, the structure that you picked was the structure that made the most sense. We, we, we looked at all sorts of options, and the one that, that it boiled down to working best for us was to build on the existing infrastructure we already had of the electrical lines that, that go throughout town. We already had those in place. We own the majority of the utility poles in town, and, of course, we have access to the right-of-way. So for us, that, that really was a pretty simple decision. Um, and, and again, just to reiterate, our, our goal from the start as a local government was a little different than 
than a, a private sector provider might be, in that we're not looking just for the most profitable properties to uh, to extend our services to, but we're, we go past every address in the city. And so mm-hmm. for us, it, it just made sense to go ahead and build on the infrastructure we already had in place. And if I can just say one more time that we had a lot of folks help us. We, we had a lot of businesses that came in uh, who specialized in this sort of thing and helped us to, to get it all built out. Now, of course, we managed the uh, the operation of building that, but we really did need the expertise of the private sector uh, to, to, to make it happen. And so it really was a good partnership. There there was nothing exclusive about this. Mm-hmm. Now, what kinds of um – you know, you talked about the network has improved the ability to deliver government services. What kinds of other benefits have the network brought? Um, starting in the area of economic development, I'm, I'm in the middle of doing a national survey of economic development uh, folks to get their take on the impact of a ban uh, or, or the impact that broadband has on economic development. But what kinds of economic uh, development outcomes have you seen in Wilson because of the network? Well, I can tell you that our, our largest employers in town use the services on Greenlight, and, and that's a nice thing to see, that, that they had the confidence to use that. Uh, but what I've heard the most about has been on the entrepreneur level, and those are the folks, they may have one, two, three employees, and, and they need that broadband because they might be working out of their house or out of a uh, local storefront. And so what I had expected was, like like you said, a lot of the larger folks, but I've been really surprised at the number of smaller businesses who are using this also. And I think that reflects the national trend because, again, we started this network and, and started offering it to our first paying customers in the summer and fall of 2008. And we all know that in late 2008, the economy in the United States shifted dramatically, and we didn't realize what was about to happen. And you know, companies throughout the United States have been laying off and and, uh, doing that sort of thing and and scaling back to try to make sure that they were covered in this economy. And so because of that, we've seen a lot of small businesses started and a lot of entrepreneurs who are starting things, and and they need broadband to do that, or, you know, really good broadband to do that. And in fact, uh, about a block from where I'm sitting now, I'm, I'm at City Hall in downtown Wilson, our local business incubator is in place, and its specialty is helping small businesses and entrepreneurs get off the ground, and they provide critical services to them like office space, a telephone line, computer, all that kind of thing. But they told us when they were getting started just a few years ago that they wanted green light in there because they didn't want broadband to be a limitation for these smaller businesses. And I think we've seen a lot of these locally run entrepreneurs get started because they had good broadband access. And I think that's a trend that we'll continue to see for a while as the economy improves. Mm-hmm. Now, this in what, in the last couple of years, last year? Hey, Craig, I'm sorry, say that one more time. Yeah. That's, that's the new, I don't remember you talking about a business incubator a couple of years ago. Is this new just the last last year or so? Uh, the incubator's probably been around about three years or so. Okay. And now, when it first started, so are you saying that when they first started, they were customers and that worked in their buildings. It was part of their uh, their startup plan, as it were. 
when they started it, and again, I think it's been about three years ago, but they talked with Greenlight because they wanted that that infrastructure to be in place for them. They they have a five story building downtown here, uh, where they have you know these folks with these great business ideas who have who have passed the first test by getting through the vetting uh, system of the incubator, and they've got them in place. And for a lot of those folks. They need good broadband to make it work. Uh, we have a logistics company in there. I think it's just a couple of employees, but they rely on broadband because they're directing traffic of all sorts of operations throughout the world. Uh, there's a graphic designer in there, and, and as you know, graphic designers, they may be uploading you know, 15, 20 meg files that, that need a good pipe to get out of there. And so the the business development center or the incubator here in town, they really were with green light from the start because they had seen it work for a couple of years. They, they knew that it was a superior product. And so they got together with us and we were able to make that happen. And so we're really happy to be able to say that there are small businesses and, and, you know, small business jobs being created here in Wilson, uh, at least indirectly because of green light. And, and there may be some that are directly because of green light also, just because broadband is such as an important utility. Now we, we really do see broadband as an essential utility, just like water, uh, just like electricity, just like good roads. Now, what do you see as future economic development uh, impact? You know, small businesses, uh, mom and pop businesses, being it or using it. Well, I think well, what we'll yeah, I, I think what we'll see is that businesses of all size will will continue to need broadband, and and not just big download speeds, but big upload speeds, because. After the transition that our country has gone through in the past few years, I think a lot of people are sort of starting out on their own. You know, they, they, the idea of being able to work for one company for your entire life, as we know, that's that's been gone for a while now. Uh, and here in Wilson, in fact, a, a lot of our, a, a lot of the wealth that this city has had for the past 50 years has come from the tobacco market. Uh, we, we used to have a lot of tobacco come through here that the farmers would would bring it into town here. And we had tobacco warehouses, and, and they would sell it here, and that's where a lot of the money came from, and, and textiles also. And we all know that tobacco and textiles are long gone as important drivers in, in that economy. Now, we, we do have some tobacco that's grown in the area, but that market of bringing it to the warehouses is long gone. So our economy has changed. Uh, what we're seeing now is we're having – I'm trying to think of the word that we use, but we're having a lot more of the high-tech companies come to town now. Last year, we just had uh, BD come to town, Beckton Dickinson, and they make uh, medical, medically-related items. And uh, we, we've got a lot of pharmaceutical companies in, here in town. Purdue is here. Uh, Merck Pharmaceuticals is here. And so we're really happy that this broadband is in place to give them what they need. So as local government, we're providing them not only with good services that, that people might expect, like clean water and, and garbage collection and that kind of thing, but we're also able to provide electricity, natural gas, and now broadband. And they've seen that it's reliable. Uh, we have a, a good reputation for it being reliable. And I think that's going to continue to be important, especially in this uh, changing economy that we're in, in businesses tending to get smaller. And, Craig, you may be able to verify this number for me, but I heard the other day that something like 80% of jobs in the U.S. right now are small business jobs. And I think it's something that we're going to continue to see as just a, a critical part of in infrastructure for businesses of all sizes. I think that 
I'm not sure about the 80%, but I do know that small business is actually almost a greater economic engine in terms of job creation than the larger companies. I mean, you look at some of the bigger companies and they're, you know, talking about consolidating and laying off people and all the rest of it. It is the um, smaller companies that are hiring. I think if you also look at it from the perspective of, uh, you know, layoffs, I mean, it's not. there's never quite that same impact of, you know, a company that announces they're going to lay off 5,000 people. I mean, that, that's a huge, you know, a huge impact. And, and a smaller company, I don't know, I think they, they, they can work a little harder keeping people around. You know, probably what they've found with the, with the technology, with Greenlight, you know, they can continue to work uh, effectively, you know, by not necessarily having to keep people in the same place. And, you know, you have an in, in, in increase of efficiencies, so you may not necessarily hire more people. You don't necessarily have to lay people off either. And so, you know, there's a number of dynamics, but the, the general overarching thing is that um, the, the smaller companies are the lifeblood. And I think what happens in rural communities or in the discussion about rural communities and small towns is that people, policymakers, don't fully appreciate the impact of a company that brings five jobs, you know, or a startup that, you know, one day goes from two people to four people or six people. Right. That in the smaller world, in the smaller rural, rural world, is a huge impact. And that is kind of – and so the, the communities that understand that will typically do well because they'll figure out how to foster broadband – as an engine for the smaller companies, the home-based businesses, that kind of thing. And I, I so, agree, and, and and broadband is neat because it's kind of a great equalizer. If you have a really good broadband connection, you can do a lot of things and be in a rural area. You, you don't have to be in Manhattan or LA, LA to, uh, to, to be close to people if you have a good broadband connection. There's all sorts of things you can do now, and I think what we'll continue to see is is the rise of the small business just because they don't have to pick up and move to a more urban area to do what they need to do. So it's an exciting time. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I, I realize I didn't ask about, in my in my survey, I didn't ask about telecommuters. Um, I, I did ask about home-based businesses. I asked people, you know, how they feel that broadband will impact home-based businesses. But are telecommuters kind of lost in a shuffle of sorts as well? Do we... You know, do you see a lot of them yourself, but from your perspective, people, you know, when they're talking about broadband or you're talking to others and other cities about broadband, they talk about the impact on telecommuters. Oh, sure. And, and I think to some extent the line has blur, blurred even because uh, when you say telecommuters, I, I assume you're talking about somebody who's working for a company that's in another town or, or somewhere far exactly. away. But I, I, think, right. I think you definitely have some of that, and I think there are other folks who have – who have done that enough that they've become successful contractors and they're striking out on their own now. And so mm-hmm. I think what this does is just open up a lot of possibilities for folks. But but yes, it's you know really good broadband. It is kind of a great equalizer and and it makes it, it gives rural communities and smaller towns a chance to to be on a level playing field with some of the larger cities. And I I think there are a couple of important distinctions that we should bring up. In that when you see the ads, no matter where you are in the United States right now, when you see an ad for the latest broadband package or the the cable package or whatever, 
you know, they always talk about their speeds are up to 5 meg or up to 6 meg or whatever, and you don't hear much about upload speeds. All, all you hear about is download speeds. And one thing that we have offered from the start, just because it was sort of a philosophical thing for us, is that for all of our residential customers, your download speed is your upload speed. So the smallest, or the I guess I should say the, the slowest speed we offer here in Wilson through Greenlight is 10 meg. And when we say 10 meg, that's not just download, that's upload as well. And right. I think that's an important distinction because I think there are a lot more people creating content now than we've had in, in recent years. And that's, again, another exciting trend that broadband is allowing um, look, look at the way the music industry is, has changed over in recent years in the graphic designing industry. You don't have a, a few large record labels controlling all the shots anymore. You know, look, look at ebooks. There are people who can publish their own works through ebooks because it's much cheaper and, and the technology enables that. And so I, I think what we're seeing here is that broadband is sort of opening up this world to entrepreneurs and people with great ideas and knocking down some barriers, whereas before they would have had to go to, you know, the great ivory tower, the big, uh, the big corporate structure somewhere, and, and get through it. And uh, you know, we love corporations here. We don't have a problem with with corporations, but it's exciting to know that the little guy, through broadband, has access to be able to get the word out there and generate that content. And it's it's changing things. It, it really is an exciting time. Right. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, I'm one of those people that works out of the home, and so, you know, I understand the uh, the, the value of all of this. Now, now we've got about seven minutes to, to go here. One of the things I'm wondering is, do you see, I think you alluded to this, but maybe a, a new industry, you know, you talk about the industries that are moving out that may not be coming back, but, for example, in um, one, one of the small communities in Virginia, they figured out how to create a new um, technology infrastructure that basically encouraged more of those kinds of companies. Uh, or another community where they created a, sort of a, a healthcare community. I mean, they basically got people in who were healthcare providers, but also healthcare service uh, supporters and, and so forth. In other words, they created a new industry, if you will using broadband as a catalyst. Do you see that kind of thing happening in Wilson? I, I think that that really we have a, a nice blank canvas right now for all sorts of things that could happen. Uh we're we're just a few years into this. I think we're we're just now at four years since we made the network available everywhere in town. So with with the with the country hopefully continuing to improve financially and and people continuing to be mobile, I think there's possibility for all sorts of things to happen here. Um, just a, a little plug for the the city here. We're we're about 45 minutes east of the state capital. Uh, it's a great place to be. It, it's it's a beautiful city. We have a wonderful quality of life, and because of this broadband, it, it kind of gives us. Um, I guess a, a seat at the table there. We, we can be more competitive because of that. What we didn't realize at the time was that the, the legislature would, would change it so that even the big cities would not be able to put this infrastructure in. But we were able to get ahead of that and to get that network in place. And now, Wilson, again, Wilson had the first 100 meg uh, customer in North Carolina. It was a public uh, facility customer with with public broadband. Mm -hmm. That's an exciting thing to us, and so we think that'll that'll continue. Uh, lots of good things are going to happen. 
our economy continues to change, continues to reinvent itself, and I think having good quality broadband in place is a very, very important part of that. Mm-hmm. Now, was um, wireless a a factor in the overall service? Are you guys providing any kind of wireless uh, either access or is it somehow part of your broadband picture? We, we do provide wireless, but it's not something that we build into the business model. Uh, it, it's sort of, a, I guess, a, a, a benefit for us, I'll put it that way, because we run the fiber past every address in town, but there are some places where it would be nice to just be able to fire up the laptop and, and get on board, and so we do have wireless in place there. Uh, for instance, uh, we're real proud of our soccer fields. We have a beautiful athletic facility with some baseball fields and soccer fields, and so we made available green light uh, wireless out there, and so when the parents are at the game watching junior play, uh, they can hop online and and see what's going on if they need to, and or you know maybe their iPhone, maybe they need to need to upload a big picture or something. Who knows? Uh, but we do have several wireless hotspots around town, but that was not part of our business model. The, the, we knew we had to pay the bills on this and be good stewards of the people's money, and so our resources have gone to the fiber to the home network. Gotcha. Now, in we got about two minutes left. In summary, what would you tell other communities? in terms of how can they create and maintain a political presence? Political presence. Wow, that's that's a good one. I, I guess the important thing is just to be aware of what's happening in, in your legislature. Um, be, being actively involved in the legislature, I know for me, was certainly a new thing. Uh, it, it's, you know, typically local governments are concerned about day to day and about providing critical services and typically that's not a very necessarily a forward-thinking thing. Now, I like to think that Wilson is ahead of the curve on that because we've built our infrastructure to look forward, such as our expanded water supply and our uh, improved electrical system and that sort of thing. But typically governments are better at responding to things than they are at, at getting ahead of things. And so if it's something you're interested in, I would just suggest that you, first of all, politically, just be aware of what, what your legislative makeup is. Um, because you you just never know who might suddenly be for you or against you, and you had never heard of them before uh, this <laughs> level playing field bill or, or whatever it's called that month uh, pops up in your legislature. Uh, but I would also just encourage folks that b- before you can, can try to do anything politically, you need to make sure all your ducks are in a row. Make sure you look ahead and that you plan well and realize that this is this is the people's money you're doing this with, and so you need to be smart and you need to make good decisions. And if you can do that, then you can go to your legislature and confidently say that you're doing it in the best interest of your community. So you've got to have your political act tight on the home front to be able to show to have credibility when you get to the state house. Exactly. If if the locals don't support you, then you don't have much hope at the state level. Sad but true. <laughs> or maybe it's good because it forces you to actually interact together and not come out the door with something really slipshod and not beneficial to the world around you, to the world around you. So, uh, Brian, I thank you very much for taking the time to be here and to shed some insight to how, you know, Wilson does what it does. And I, I applaud you guys and I wish you much continued success because you are out in front and you are doing well 
against adversity, and I always admire that in every community broadband project. So, you know, thank you for for your time and your insights today. It's been well appreciated. Greg, thank you so much for all you're doing. And I'd like to thank our audience for tuning in once again. We're uh, gearing up for next week as Fiber to Home Council. Uh, I'll be there broadcasting every day. Uh, it'd be nice to meet a lot of you folks that are that are checking into the show and uh, getting some of you on the air to talk about you know what's happening, what's new and exciting at the at the conference itself. And so anyway, uh, stay tuned. We'll be having more shows coming up, more interesting topics. Thank you uh, finally to our uh, sponsor, Team Fischl. They are in the broadband construction business and are very good at what they do. So everybody have a great day and we'll talk again soon.